Please say this after me. This is God's word. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Thank you, Father, for your anointing on the word. Thank you that you have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, churches across Tawny are joining in a special expression of unity at this point in time. It's called the One Tawny, One Life series. Throughout the month, we are preaching on the same theme, the theme of one life, and there's also a specific topic for each Sunday. Week one, we spoke about loved by God. In the second week, we spoke concerning invited to life, looking at four areas where Jesus invites us to life in terms of eternal life, freedom from the domination of sin, rest, and fellowship. Today, week three, found in the truth, is what we're focusing on. And then week four, next week, is equipped to go. However, as you know, Prophet Ed Trout will be with us next Sunday, and so we will deviate from that topic. And don't forget to be here. Make a special effort next Sunday. Invite somebody to come with you. Invite a friend, and we look forward to a fantastic time next week. Now, the title of the message this morning is Found in the Truth. Please say that with me, Found in the Truth. And as a subtitle, I would say that this is all about living a life that identifies you with the truth, that we would live in such a way that we are identified with the truth, so to speak, capital T. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the way in which we would live our lives would identify us with the truth, and therefore we would be found in the truth. We're going to look at the passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 3, 8 to 16, and this is from the New Living Translation. I looked at this passage in a few different versions of the Bible, and the NLT puts it across in a very beautiful, easy-to-understand way. If you've got the NLT, you can follow in your Bibles, otherwise on the screen. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 to 16. Finally, now before I carry on, just just to say this, listen out for the heart that is portrayed in this passage, the heart of God. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when, with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, how many of you by a show of hands, you say, yeah, I want to enjoy life. I want to see happy days. Well, it says if that's the case, you want to enjoy life, see happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. In your working environment with the colleagues that you're encountering, do you know that you have to search for peace and you have to work at being at peace with all people? 
The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to his, their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. On to verse 13 on the next slide. Now, who will want to, do, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. This is the focus. Because when we worship Christ as Lord of our lives, things come into the right priorities. And then this next phrase, which I've put in bold on the screen. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Please say that with me. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. You see, because you and I belong to Christ, we've surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. The relationship that we have with him affects us. His life begins to flow into us, and then out of us flows the goodness of God, because we belong to Jesus. You cannot belong to Jesus and just stay the same. Jesus is the one who transforms you and changes you. You're on the potter's wheel. All you have to do is let him change you, and he's the one that does that. And so they will see a good life because you belong to Christ. This is actually a very beautiful passage of scripture, isn't it? It's beautiful. The Word of God is so rich, it's so lovely. Now, there's basically two big ideas that I want to share with you today. Two big ideas that we're going to look at. Number one, we need to model the attitude and example of Christ in order to become credible witnesses. Now, just let that sink in for a few moments. As you look at those words, think about that for a moment. Apply it to your life. It's no good that we hear good things out of the Word of God and good statements and we don't apply it. Would you say the phrase credible witnesses? Say that with me. Credible witnesses. And so we need to model the attitude and example of Christ in order to become just that. Credible witnesses. Now, Scripture certainly makes it clear through this passage and through other passages in the Bible, that God wants us to be living witnesses for Jesus Christ. It's part of what we come into as our covenant relationship, that we have a responsibility to be witnesses. But we don't just want to be any old witnesses. Here's it. We want to be credible witnesses. I think the world is needing to see more believers who are credible witnesses. Can you say amen? amen? They're looking for it. And when they see the real thing, it makes such a difference. The scripture says in 1 Peter 3.16 in the NLT, it says, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. Would you say good life? Good life. Wow, when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. I want to say this, listen carefully. Living a good life and demonstrating good conduct still speaks 
volumes to people. They can see in your life the goodness of God. And it means so much when they see that. It's like they don't see any of it in the rest of the world, but then if they see it in a true believer, it touches them, it speaks. And so a good life speaks volumes. I don't know about you, I want to live a good life. It speaks volumes to others. And people look at you and they see that you're different. And they say, I I notice when the party, when the uh, office goes for a party Friday afternoon, goes all for drinks, uh, I notice you never get drunk. It speaks to them, it's a good life. Somebody else says to you, well, I notice that even though things are going really rough in the country, you share your heart and you're open and honest, but you never curse the president. They see that you're living a good life. A good life speaks. Another example is somebody says to you, well, I see you're generally hopeful. It's like you're a hopeful person. I don't know if you're positive or joyful or what exactly it is, but people see that. They see a good life and it speaks volumes to them. I want to say to you this, don't underestimate the power of your example. You might be thinking, no, no, no. It's up to the shepherds and life group leaders and pastors and they should be setting the example. And I want to say, no, that's not correct. God has called all of us to be witnesses and to be credible witnesses. People are looking at your life. Don't underestimate the power of your example. Please say to the person next to you, your example is powerful. It is. It is powerful. And in the text that we're looking at today, there are several words and phrases that urge us to live a good life. Another way of saying a good life is a Christ-like life. I want to live a Christ-like life. And so I looked at the passage and I looked at a couple of different versions of the Bible and I picked out all the words which just speak about the heart behind this passage. And so here are the words and the phrases. Let me highlight a few of them. Here they are. Have compassion. Love one another. Be tender-hearted. That's something that we need more in the world today, to be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Don't seek revenge. Bless those who harm you. Refrain your tongue from evil. Turn away from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Be gentle. But God, this is 2017. There's so much aggression on the roads these days. Do you know how tough it is, God, to drive in our Gauteng traffic? And God says, live a good life. Be gentle. Thank you for the resounding amens. (laughs) Be respectful. Display good conduct. Now, all of those words come out of the passage that we've just read. And we say we want to be Bible believers and people that act on the Word of God. Let the Word of God challenge you. It challenges me right now. It really does. Simply put, those words and phrases speak to us of the attitude of Christ. He set the example. When He was on earth, this is the kind of heart and attitude He displayed. And you and I are called to display this same attitude It's only when Christians display Christ's attitude that we actually represent Him well. I actually like that phrase, represent Him well. 
And it's actually about authenticity. And I believe that something that is so important in this day and age is authentic Christianity. Would you say those two words with me? Authentic Christianity. In many circles, the church has lost credibility because we say something, but we do the opposite and we have a judgmental attitude and and we are needing to see the tide rising that believers will begin to demonstrate the fruit of a life and attitude of Christ. And that people would begin to see there is authentic Christianity. I believe the world is looking for authentic Christians. And they are actually longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Can you say amen? Amen. So true. It was evidently Gandhi who said the following. He said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. It's quite a statement. I know it's a disputed statement. Some said he did say it. Some say he didn't. Others say he said something slightly different. But nonetheless, it's quite an interesting statement. Let me just read it again. I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. May it not be said of us that that is the case. Because we are serious about demonstrating the heart of God. You see, Jesus has been represented badly by many Christians around the world. Obviously, I'm talking in a generalization. It's sad, but it's true. He has been represented badly. May I give you just a few examples of ways in which Christians have represented the Lord badly? Here are a few. Charismatic preachers with a super prosperity lifestyle having just excessive material possessions and they've actually crossed over the line into greed. They call it prosperity, but it's gone into greed. That doesn't represent Jesus well. Some Christian television programs that beg for money and place people under pressure to give financially. You know what? That is manipulation and that borders on the sin of witchcraft to do that. I want to encourage you, never be put under pressure to give. The Bible says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. And some people come with such pressure and they sweat and go crazy on TV and they can't get the next breath in. God's going to bless you and God's going to do this and so on. And they make promises of all sorts of blessings. And if you give in the next seven days, this is what's going to happen. And, and you've heard that one about the angel dispatched to your gate for your $20. I mean, how dumb can you get and still breathe? It's crazy. We shouldn't be gullible. We shouldn't be getting into those things. It represents our Christ very badly. That's not the Jesus I serve. That's manipulation. I think of pastors making use of unnecessary and prestigious titles. And and next thing, this guy has never even been to Bible college. Next thing, he's now suddenly apostle to the nations. Now he's a a reverend doctor. Now he's a, a, a doctor apostle. And now he's all of a sudden bishop. I'm thinking, dude, where does that come from? Sorry, dude is the Greek word for how where now. All right. Dude, where does that come from? Now I understand that there can be recognized presbytery that establishes a bishop. These titles are actually biblical. But you can't just grab one after a five-minute heavy, revy, quiet time and say, hey, I'm a bishop now. You can't do that. 
It takes recognized church leadership and presbytery to set somebody apart as a bishop, as an overseer. I wanna tell you, don't let those things impress you. My dad taught me that as a pastor, you don't put yourself on a pedestal because pastoring is more about servanthood than about anything else. I think of others who've represented the Lord badly and I think of Christians who talk the Christian talk, but they don't walk the walk. I think of Christian business people who profess Christianity and they, pretty soon as they're doing your proposal, your quotation or whatever, they talk in Christian lingo and so on and you think, oh, this is a trustworthy person. Meanwhile, they don't finish the work on time. Their work is shoddy and you struggle to get any decent service out of them. I want to tell you that doesn't represent Jesus well. If you're a Christian business person, do it with excellence because excellence honors God and inspires people. And so these are just some of the examples that you can mention. But we want to be those that will be credible witnesses. Say credible witnesses. We want to represent our king well. It says in Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized they had been with Jesus. Here it is, folks. When people look at you, they should be able to identify who you're with. They looked at these disciples and they saw, yeah, they look like Jesus. They act like Jesus. And so people should be able to identify you with the truth. And you should be found in the truth. The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then, we are ambassadors. Please say that word, ambassadors. Do you feel like an ambassador? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. This is what the Bible says, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. God is using you as an ambassador. He's pleading through you. And I believe in order for the mission of God, the kingdom of God, to go ahead more effectively Christians need to be better ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ because people will be drawn. Please say to the person next to you, you are an ambassador. Great. And do you realize this? That you may be the only genuine Christian that people come across at your work. And I want to say in the light of that, be an authentic Christian. Represent Jesus well. It matters. It matters. It matters. Please say to the person next to you, your colleagues are watching you. Tell them that. Your colleagues are watching you. Wow. So he said, number one, we need to model the attitude and example of Christ in order to become credible witnesses. And now we say in number two, which is a shorter point, As we become credible witnesses, then people will ask the reason for our hope. This is what the Bible says. As you demonstrate that credible life, people will begin to ask about it. And obviously, it goes without saying that there's your opportunity to speak up. It says in 1 Peter 3.15 in the NIV, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. We have hope within us. Give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect. In the message version, it's on your screen, verse 15, it puts it across very nicely. It says, be ready to speak up. Please say, speak up. Now, would you do it and speak up? Say, speak up. It says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are and always do uh, and always with the utmost courtesy. Do you know that there's no biblical basis for being a Bible crunching Christian? There is no biblical basis for being a pushy and an obnoxious Christian because the Bible says that when we speak up, do always that with the utmost courtesy, respecting people. I believe our evangelism will be more effective if we talk to people with courtesy and with respect. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do you ever speak up? It's good in preaching that we also challenge each other. Do you ever speak up? Because I want to encourage you that you would do so because people need to hear the words of life. You say, what words of life do I have? Well, the fact is you have the Son of God within you, so you have life. And as you speak, words of life do come out of you. Some people say, well, I'm never gonna say anything. I'll just live my lifestyle and people can see my lifestyle. Wonderful if you're doing that, but it cannot just stop at the lifestyle. There are times when you need to open your mouth and say something about your Savior. If he could die publicly on the cross for you, you can witness at your cafeteria at work to somebody else. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. You'll be surprised. God says, open it and I will fill it. I'll give you the words that you need to say. And when you open your mouth, you don't need to give theological answers. (laughs) All you need to do is just tell the person what Jesus means to you and tell him, Tell that person what what the Lord has done in your life. Don't get into theology, just get into testimony. One theologian says the following, unbelievers can see that Christians have something different. Only our hope gives us strength and joy in hardships and persecutions. And unbelievers will ask about our hope. And believers must be ready to tell them, so, believers, sorry, unbelievers notice that there's something different in your life. You might say, well, is my life really that different? Well, do you belong to Christ? Yes. Your life is more different than you realize. And I want to say to you, therein lies the opportunity to share. As people look at your life and they say, I see something different in you. And in turn, that creates the opportunity to share your faith. Let me just give you a couple of little practical examples of living your life where it's different to the world and it speaks to others. Here's a few quick examples. When people around us are indulging in sin and we stay in pure, we stay in holy, they look at us and they say there's something different. When we turn our our ears away from a filthy conversation because we know that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, People see there's something different in your life. In those conversations, I want to say, don't just stand there and grin and bear it and just try to be part of the team. Turn your ears away from that because you're holy. You're set apart by God. 
Another example of people seeing that we're different is that when we forgive those that have hurt us, even though when the default setting is to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. And when we do this, it speaks volumes to people. They say there's something in this person's life. Here's another one. Your colleagues at work are sacrificing their families because they want corporate success. They want to drive this, climbing the corporate ladder, and they're sacrificing their families. But you, as a child of God, are not doing that. You're investing in your family. You're investing in your marriage. You know that that speaks volumes. And I want to say to some of the men here today, some of the heads of households, and even some of the ladies as well, you might have an extremely high-power corporate job, but I want to say to you, your career does not come first. God comes first. And after God comes your family, and only then comes your career. Don't get it muddled, because later on in life, you will live to regret it. But we show that we have something different when we say... I'm not putting my career first. Also, when others have lost all hope for our country, and we remain steadfast, immovable, trusting in God, it sometimes boggles other people. Are we being ostriches with our heads in the ground? No. We are being believers with our heads in the word of God. And on that word, we stand. And by the way, I still rejoice at recently what God did in the It's Time event in Bloemfontein. Can we thank the Lord once again for that? And they see in your life that something is different. And when we live like this, people are drawn to ask about our hope because we have something that they want. And I want to say to you, there is our gap to speak up and use that opportunity to just talk about what the Lord Jesus means to you. As I am drawing to a close, I want to say that talking about this, especially around the second point, it reminds me of the whole subject of evangelism. And in terms of evangelism, I ask the question, how does evangelism really take place? And I heard a fascinating quote. I was meeting with a group of pastors, city pastors this week, and one of them mentioned this quote. It's really fascinating. And it's the following. It says, people often come to church for a program, but they don't realize that they are the program. May I say it again? People often come to church for a program, but they don't realize that they are the program. And this fits in with the scripture that says that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me tell you, simply put, if you didn't get the point yet, the saints are the program. We are the witnesses. Think about that. You are the program. Sometimes we relegate in evangelism and we say, okay, these two or three people, they're really you know, extroverts. Those two or three people in the church, they are the evangelism department. And now we think the rest of us are off the hook. No, 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 that's not New Testament evangelism. New Testament evangelism is that God wants to work through all of the church. He wants to make his manifold wisdom known through the church. He wants to use you, and he's calling you to be a credible witness. And then people will ask you, what is it in the, your life? Where do you have this hope? And there's your opportunity to share. And so it's not about a program of evangelism. It's about a lifestyle of an evangelist. 
because every one of us is called to that lifestyle. I'm going to end with one last scripture. It's Matthew 5, verse 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How many of you can say, I want to glorify God through my life? Come on, put up your hand. I want to glorify God through my life. And we say, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Now, we're going to close in prayer. Before we do, could I invite the pastors to quickly come up to the front and just spread yourselves right across the front here? This is just an opportunity if you would like to be prayed for. Anyone that would like prayer, the pastors are available to pray for you. Uh, This is not an opportunity for counseling, but it's an opportunity to just receive prayer. May I invite you to stand as we close? Dear Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. We realize that every Sunday you are working by your Spirit, and we give you the honor and the thanks. And we say, Lord, here are our lives. Our desire is to be credible witnesses for you. Lord, would you open up opportunities where people would say to us, what's different about you? Tell me about this hope. And then give us the courage and boldness to speak up for you. And Lord, let a mighty army rise up in this church and in this nation. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, both now and forevermore. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you, everybody.